Well, good morning. Last week, we talked about working differently together. We talked about 1 Corinthians 12 and the powerful message that's there about, uh, about serving. And not just serving, but serving in the greatest way that we can. Uh, each of us serves differently, but together we form the body of Christ, the church, fully functional, useful to draw souls to God. That is our purpose here, to keep each other saved and to draw the lost to God. And service is important, but it's also important that we do something else. And that something else is what we're going to talk about today. It's important that we train those who will come after us. It's important that we train those who will come after us. Sometimes we look at, uh, at the generation uh, who comes after us in the church, and I, I'm only just now starting to be able to do that. Uh, where people are young enough that I can call them the next generation. And you start to see uh, what's happening there and the trends that are there, and you, you maybe get a little bit afraid uh, of what you see there. And, uh, and it's easy to just say, well, maybe I'll wait for, for a generation to come along who will just automatically do those things that they ought to do, and I'll, I'll train them because that'll be easier. And that's just not going to happen. Uh, it's just not going to be there. That doesn't happen. And that's the idea of training. It's the idea of teaching is that we train bad habits away and train good habits in. So this morning we're talking about that side of the work of the church, the side that trains and the side that seeks to be trained by others. There's two parts there. Uh, you can have someone who's willing to train anybody who comes along, but if nobody is willing to learn, no one's willing to grow, then you're kind of stuck. And the same is true the other way around. You may be willing to learn and willing to grow, but if no one's there to train you, well, it's a lot tougher. It's a lot tougher. I want you to look at Joshua chapter 1 with me as we begin this morning. Joshua chapter 1, and we'll read the first three verses of that book. And I want you to see what's said there. Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Remember, this is after... Uh, or, or at the end of the time in the wilderness for the Israelites. And Moses has died. And now in chapter 1, verse 1 of Joshua, it came about after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' servant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, cross this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them to the sons of Israel. Every place on which the sole of your foot treads I have given to you, just as I spoke to Moses. And he continues on encouraging Joshua to be strong and courageous. We, uh, we've heard that before. Uh, that verse 7 through verse 9 where God commands him, be strong and courageous. And, and verse 9, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. God didn't surprise Joshua with this. This wasn't Joshua, a young man, walking along his way, and all of a sudden, one day, without warning and without any, uh, any consideration from Joshua, that God just pings him in the brain and says, hey, you're going to go ahead and lead my people now. Moses is dead, so naturally I would choose someone who doesn't know anything about leading my people. You. 
It's not the way it happened. If you look back, and, and I would encourage you to do your own search here, search in the Old Testament for just Joshua and see where Joshua appears. It may surprise you. He is, remember when Moses came down from the mountain and had the original two tablets of stone, the work of God? There's Joshua meeting Moses halfway down the mountain and he says, I, I think I hear singing. And Moses says, no, or, uh, you know, the sound of war. Or and it wasn't. They were worshiping the golden calf. And Joshua was there for that. He saw Moses respond to that. There was a tent of meeting outside the camp and Moses would go out to it and the people would watch and worship. But Joshua, it says, was always there. Always at the tent of meeting. Never did he leave. Joshua was being trained. He was Moses' servant with him, shadowing him, walking alongside him as he led God's people. And so Joshua saw what it took. He saw what it meant to lead God's people and to remain faithful to God as you do it. Moses wasn't the only one who trained someone to carry on his work. And what I want you to see this morning is that training is a biblical principle both in the Old and New Testament. It's something that was being done back in the time of the Israelites with Joshua and men like him and also all the way up into the New Testament with the church. There was training happening and it's something that ought to continue to happen today. Let's look at Matthew chapter 20. Jesus trained His disciples. Remember those twelve especially that He took with Him. In Matthew chapter 20, verse 20, we have an interesting incident that arises. uh, Matthew 20, verse 20, it says, The mother of the sons of Zebedee came to Jesus with her sons, bowing down and making a request of Him. And He said to her, What do you wish? And she said to him, command that in your kingdom, these two sons of mine may sit one on your right and one on your left. She wants places of power in the kingdom of God for her sons. And Jesus answered, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink? And they said to him, we're able. He gives them some thoughts about that. But then notice verse 24. Hearing this, the ten became indignant with the two brothers. You know what ten and two makes? Twelve. We're talking about the twelve that he called his disciples, those who followed with him day after day. And they hear these two wanting to be elevated and they get indignant. They become irritated with that. And listen to what Jesus says in verse 25. He called them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. It is not this way among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve And to give his life a ransom for many. I can't help but think about our congregation here as we are looking around at each other, seeing if there are men qualified to be serving as elders. 
And this verse popped in my mind immediately that, you know, sometimes there's guys who just want to wear a title and be elevated and be able to tell people what to do. And that does not an elder make. But Jesus says the one who wishes to be great or first will be your servant. He's the one who serves. He's the one who's the slave who imitates Christ. The one who didn't come so that others could be beneath Him, but so that He could serve and save many through giving His life. I want to see a man who's giving his life to the service of God already when I suggest a man to be an elder. I want to see someone who is giving their life for the betterment of the church, for the betterment of God's people, for the furthering of His message. I want to see someone who has that as one of His primary focuses. Look at John 13. John chapter 13. This was our Scripture reading this morning. Remember, it's a, it is when Jesus and His disciples were gathered for the Last Supper on the final night of His life. And in John 13, verse 12, as you know, his time with his disciples is drawing to a close. He's not going to have much more that he can do for them or teach them. And here in, in Matthew 20, he taught them. But now look in, in John chapter 13, in verse 12, when he'd washed their feet, taken his garments and reclined at the table again, he said to them, do you know what I've done to you? And so he's finished this act and and Peter didn't understand it, of course, and he didn't really explain it as he was doing it. But then he sits back down and he's going to converse with them about what he has just done to them. And he says, you call me teacher and Lord and you're right, for so I am. If I then, the Lord and the teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you should also do as I did to you. Jesus didn't just tell His disciples what was good and right. He didn't sit them down and, and just speak at them relentlessly, telling them over and over again what they ought to do, what they ought to do, what's right, what's right. He took them into a room and washed their feet and showed them, not just showed them what's right, but showed them the one that they held in high regard doing what would have thought, been thought to be beneath Him. He showed them what was right. He showed them how to do what was right. That's training. That's training. And when you show what's right... And you couple it with a discussion about what's right. That's powerful. Because then someone knows you're not just saying it. But you're also doing it. Because they've already seen it in you. Jesus spent time with his disciples. Training them. To carry on his work after he ascended. Now look at 2 Timothy. Let's look at 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2, and 
And Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 2. The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses. Entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. It's an interesting verse. It's one that you might just kind of glance over saying, well, uh, the preacher accomplishes that when he preaches a lesson that, that says what's right every Sunday or, uh, or our teachers in Bible class do that. Well, that's part of it, yes. But there's something more serious going on here with Paul's charge to Timothy. In 2 Timothy 2 verse 2, well... Take a look at chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Verse 1. Paul charges Timothy. He says, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by His appearing and His kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. And he talks about a time when they would heap up teachers for themselves who would say just what they want to hear. But in verse 5 he says, But you, instead of being just what they want to hear, you be sober in all things. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. And so there's this grand charge laid out by Paul to Timothy. And you might ask yourself, why is Paul charging Timothy with this? Why doesn't Paul just go out and do it? He's an apostle after all. And he's been doing this for a lot of years. And the answer comes verse 6. For I am charging you because I am am already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure has come. You know what that means. It's time for Paul to die. It's time for Paul to go and be with Christ. Which he says in Philippians is very much better. The time has come for that. And so Paul looks at Timothy. Timothy who has been with him. Who has been serving alongside him. He calls him his, his son in the faith. The one who has walked with him, who's delivered letters for him, who's been there when these letters are written, seeing the distress that Paul carries with him for the churches. And he tells Timothy, you, it's your turn now. All the training has been done. And now it's your turn. So he charges him with preaching the word. With continuing the work. Maintaining that same standard that he'd received. And now you come back to 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 2. And you notice what Paul's really telling him. The things you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses. Entrust these to faithful men. Who will be able to teach others also. What's he telling him to do? He's telling him to train. He's telling him to find those who are faithful to Christ, to train them in the Word, to teach them, and entrust the Word to them so that they can continue the work 
that was begun by Christ himself. The concept of training and handing the work on to others who can handle it faithfully continues in the church and it continues today. It's the responsibility of newer Christians to look for where they can serve. To look for ways to be involved. And it's the responsibility of those serving to train others to take their place. There's um, VBS coming up. We just had an announcement about it. And I want you to think about that. That maybe you've never been involved. And if you signed up you'd say, boy, I just don't even know what I'm doing. I have no clue about any of this. That's okay. That's okay. Because... You won't be alone, number one. And that's a good time to learn when there's other people around you who do know what they're doing and they can show you how to accomplish the work. That's a time of training. That's a good opportunity to be trained. And there's people willing to train you. You think about um, any number of different events and things that are going on. You may say, I have no idea how I could be of service. Go ahead and be part of it and look for someone to train you to do something. And they'll be there. What about, um, what about a, a man, the, the work of leading our, our services, work of leading our worship? You know, uh, uh, I remember the first time that I ever said a prayer for the Lord's Supper. and It was the most terrifying thing I'd ever done. But I wouldn't have done it at all if someone hadn't taken me aside and said, here's the sort of thing you want to remember. I know you know this because you're a Christian, but remember we're talking about the body and blood of Christ. Remember that we're praying and we're remembering His death together that saves, our sin, saves us from our sins. You know, those sorts of small training times are important. But it takes someone reaching out. It takes someone going into a place that they're not comfortable. And it takes someone who is more comfortable there reaching out to them and teaching them what they know. Reminding them of what they ought to do. It's the work of every Christian to give their time and their energy to serving the church And to serving those outside the church so that the word of Christ can prosper with them. That's our job. And it's. And I hate to say this because it means that I have to go where I'm not comfortable too. But it's not okay to just do what you've always done. Or to just do what you're comfortable doing. It's important that you reach for what you're not necessarily comfortable for, but that God calls good. And then you look behind you and you say, there's someone else who can do what I was just doing and will be better for it. That's the Lord's body. That's the training aspect of the Lord's body. Be looking forward to what you can do later and be looking behind you to who can fill your place after. I've been very proud watching... Our, our young men and, uh, and seeing them step into the song leading roles. Some of them are just, you, you wouldn't know 
they just started leading singing however long ago they did, you wouldn't know that it wasn't very long. They do very well. They're confident. They lead us well. I've been very, very proud of seeing that. I've been proud seeing our young ladies learning to teach in children's Bible classes, seeing every member stepping in to serve and help where they're needed. There have been, uh, I don't know if you realize this, but sometimes it's a struggle if I'm going to be gone to find guys to do the teaching, do the preaching. And it's been wonderful because there have been some new faces that I've been able to talk with. And they say, you know, that's not really, I'm not comfortable doing that, but I know it's something that I ought to do. And so let's go ahead and do that. There have been times where they ask me, can you sit with me and help me prepare? Absolutely, yes. I'm not a master at it, but I'll help you. Because that's a training aspect. That's going to mean better teaching for the church. Not just during my time, but after I'm gone. It's been good seeing all of that, witnessing all of it. And those things didn't happen on their own. It takes people training, people willing to be trained. And I'll tell you, seeing that kind of progress in our congregation is a good indicator that we are continuing the work of Christ in our time. Those are good markers. And you guys need to be commended for that. That's something that it takes all of you to accomplish. And you are accomplishing it. So I'm, a, I'm so appreciative of that. And as we come off the heels of that being appreciative, I want to offer a reminder of the importance of it as you go forward. Let's look at Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11 and about verse 24. Luke chapter 11 and verse 24. We're not going to get into all the details of some of the things that are here, but we are going to use it as an illustration for the church and for individuals. Luke 11 verse 24. Jesus says, When the unclean spirit goes out of a man, it passes through waterless places seeking rest. And not finding any, it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds it swept and put in order. And then it goes and takes along seven other spirits more evil than itself. And they go in and live there. And the last state of that man becomes worse than the first. It's kind of a strange thing, a strange saying. We're not used to hearing this stuff about waterless places and, and an unclean spirit going out of a man. But I want you to, to set some of those questions aside and think with me. You have a man who has an unclean spirit in him and, and his life is a mess. His body's a mess. He's not doing very well. And then that unclean spirit goes out from him. And lo and behold, that man starts to put himself together. Things get good. He's much more respectable. He's not speaking things that he ought not to speak. He's not doing things he ought not to do. He's walking the way he ought to walk, very clean and swept. 
But there's a word that's not there, and it's something that I would focus on as we illustrate church. That is that he didn't, he was swept and clean and organized, but he wasn't filled. In fact, when he, when he swept and organized and, and made all the room there, there was nobody living there. Nobody was in him. And so that spirit went along and said, oh, there's a lot more room now. I'll bring along some of my friends. And it got worse for the man. And the reason I bring that up is that what I see in our congregation is, is a very, very clean congregation. There have been times in the past where there was a lot of trouble, a lot of difficulty. But right now we look around and we're pretty clean, we're pretty organized, very well swept and kept. And it's of the utmost importance that we continue to be filled. That we continue to be filled with people doing good works with people looking to train to do better works, and with people looking back to train others to do the work they left. It is of the utmost importance that we do that because if you, if you leave your spot open, either the one you need to grow into or the one you need to train that you're leaving, that's, that's a big hole that you're leaving. And when you leave a hole... Satan loves to fill it. He wants to find that place where there's space for him and mess things up. And so the, the encouragement is keep doing good work. Keep reaching for better works. And keep training those who are coming up whether they be children, adults, new Christians, old Christians, trained so that others can take your place when you have to move into some other type of work. That way there's never a hole and the work can continue unimpeded, undeterred by Satan's work with no vacancies in the church but rather with every part doing its part, every part growing, every part serving exactly as God designed it. I hope that gets the wheels turning in your mind. I hope that makes you think about the time when you will be gone. It does me. There's something that I do as a, as a minister as I look to see what... What if I wasn't here? Would there be anybody to take my place? And it's part of my job to work with young men and older men so that they might be able to preach and teach if I'm not able to. Who knows what might happen to me? I might be killed in a car accident today. Who would be there? Who's ready? It's an important question to ask and it's important to be ready to give a good answer to it. Be ready, be training, and be trainable.
so that the Lord's church never has a vacancy. This morning, the lesson, uh, our lesson time has come to a close. And I thank you for listening so intently. We're going to offer an invitation at this time. If you're here and you, uh, you've never put Christ on in baptism, if you've never obeyed the gospel, but you do understand that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that He died for your sins so that you could be saved through His blood, and if you're ready to repent and start obeying Him with your life, then we will take your confession this morning and we will baptize you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. And if you're a child of God who's gone astray or who hasn't been doing the work that you ought to be doing, today is the time to start. It may be that you want prayers from this congregation as you do that, and we're here to give them, but we have to know that you need them. And so this morning, the encouragement and the invitation is, if you need some spiritual help from this congregation, we're here to give it. And please make it known by coming forward as we stand and sing.